It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth through Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Ipswich Election Watch 2020 with Alan Roebuck. This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Episode 3, on a week where the Queensland Times Divisional Forums drew good crowd numbers to all four divisions. My first guest today is President of the Ipswich Chamber of Commerce, Phil Bell, who told me the Chamber finds itself for the first time in its long history not enjoying partnership support from Ipswich City Council and that the level of support had waned substantially during the last 18 months to two years. Then I chat with Victor Atwood, a former Deputy Mayor and Councillor from 2000 until he retired in 2016. Victor gives an insight into the role of a Councillor and his take on the lineup of candidates and former Councillors seeking re-election. But first, Ipswich City Centre has been the sleeping giant of Queensland, just waiting for the day when it could rise to its rightful position as a major regional centre of the southeast. That day has come with the launch of the Ipswich Regional Centre Strategy, a strategy powered by an innovative... This was the introduction to a joint Queensland Government and Ipswich City Council video to announce the Ipswich Regional Centre Strategy more than a decade ago. In hindsight, the strategy was well-intentioned but overly ambitious with so many moving parts, it's been almost impossible for the local council and state government to bring many of the goals to fruition. 17 projects are put forward in the strategy, including a fully integrated transit centre for bus and rail, the revitalisation of Ipswich City Square and Ellenborough Street sites, the establishment of government departments within key revitalisation areas, the development of a new North Ipswich precinct around the railway workshops and the museum. Upgrading the Western Corridor road and rail connections, particularly between Brisbane and Ipswich. Building a Riverlink bridge for cyclists and pedestrians. Since the launch of the strategy, three significant projects have been completed and a fourth has evolved into the new council administration building and new library now under construction. Other projects like a major performing arts centre will likely only happen with the support of the Queensland and Australian governments and the incoming mayor and councillors. In a future episode of Ipswich Election Watch, I'll take a closer look at the ups and downs of Ipswich CBD since the disastrous Reeds fire in 1985. Ipswich Chamber of Commerce and Industry was founded in 1906 and membership today is stronger than ever. Philip Bell is continuing his successful role as President of the Chamber. Thanks for taking time to talk with Ipswich Election Watch, Phil. 
Thanks, Alan. It's great to talk to you. Look, it's undoubtedly one of the most crucial council elections in living memory. What are you hearing from business owners about the calibre of mayoral candidates and, secondly, the council candidates? Yeah, I think there's an understandable level of caution among the business community, Alan, in terms of um, the campaigning and, and more importantly, what the what the uh, landscape looks like post-election. One of the, I think, one of the significant concerns and challenges, not only for for business but for um, any incumbents, is to understand uh, exactly the the level of of, of influence or, or, or level of authority that uh, elected officials might have in particular around some of the very positive things that I think need to both continue but also be uh, initiated post uh, the, the election. Well, what are the issues facing businesses large and small? Yeah, well, some of those issues, Alan, including, well, we already, I think the community is well aware of the, um, uh, of the long-lasting and ongoing challenges around uh, CBD development within the city of Ipswich, Um uh, and and I think there's a, an understandable level of caution around what the completion of that looks like. Um, I will say, as a side issue, one of the very sensitive but important issues that the community, the business community, is looking for is is to really hold uh, not only the the incumbents in the next uh, local government election, but also um, our previous administrator, Mr. Camello, to account in terms of commitments made around uh, that, that development featuring uh, complementary. Uh, commercial development rather than anything that might in, um, adversely impact upon existing business. Um, more broadly than that, Alan, I think I think what the business community is looking for is is, is a level of support that um, that I think has waned substantially through the recent disruptions over the last eighteen months to two years. Um, the business community, uh, I feel, needs to benefit from some stability that comes post the local government election, but also. A recognition of the fact that, that business has been doing the heavy lifting through um, all of the disruption that's occurred at that local government level, and needs to be um, supported, uh, you know, to, to to I think transition to and realise the growth that is available in this region. Well, given what we've seen in the CBD, and there are a lot of workers on site, there's a lot of concrete being poured. How do you see it panning out from here? Yeah, that's, it's optimistic. I think whenever you see, you know, cranes and construction, I think there's um, there's cause for some optimism. Um, I think we need to balance that, though, Alan, with the, the caution and the recognition of the fact that there are um, fantastic businesses locally. Um, you know, I, I go across the river to Riverlink that has basically been sustaining the, the retail heart of the Ipswich uh, CBD for, for a decade and, and beyond. And, um, and that... That business community, um, I think, needs to be recognised for, for a lot of the heavy lifting they've done in providing retail opportunities for customers uh, in the local business district. Um, and that recognition simply needs to come in the form of the fact that the, the CBD development needs to complement both sides of the river and the commercial offering generally. Um, and beyond that, uh, you know, you go through the top of town, there's areas that have suffered um, substantially as a consequence of delays in construction, um, which have been compounded by you know, local government disruption and, and scandal. Um, and, and I think it's time, I think beyond this election, it's time that in particular our local government recognise um, the heavy lifting done by in particular small business in this region and start providing the support that they're looking for. Um, you know, 
a lot of the a lot of the alleged support provided by council through this challenging period of disruption has really not added a great deal of value uh, to to local and small business. So, as a chamber of commerce, we'll we'll be looking very closely at um, at the programs offered and the support that is offered post election uh, to try to give business the support that they deserve. The chamber is more than just about the businesses in the CBD. What about the wider city area? What do you see are the issues that apply citywide? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you raised that. The, um, we, we, one of the strengths, I believe, of our region is its absolute diversity. So beyond the, the city of Ipswich, the CBD, um, the, you know, there are fantastic commercial offerings through, uh, you know, through villages and small towns and communities. Um, there's, a, there's a range of residential and commercial offerings right throughout our city. Um, I can understand why that's challenging for local government, but it's also a massive opportunity for us in business. There is something for everyone within this Ipswich community. Um, you know, I myself, um, living in one of the outlying regions of the local government area, um, get to see on a daily basis just the, the diversity and the, and the attractive complexity that our business community provides as a, as a, as a South East Queensland region. Um, that, that, I think, needs to be recognised as well post-election by local government. Um, we, as a Chamber of Commerce, have been spreading our wings and, and branching um, to our north, south and west predominantly. Um, we've got strong membership in our east already. But um, but I think a new local government needs to recognise that, that there are um, village and local and community and, and business issues well beyond the Ipswich CBD. Um, and again, we'll be looking as a Chamber of Commerce to, to ensure that, that that's um, recognised as well. What are the other issues that candidates should be broadly concerned about? Well, uh, if I go straight to, I think, the core issues for business locally, what, what Council needs to understand, Alan, is that um, many businesses, um, in fact a large proportion of businesses, operate purely on the margin. So I think there's, there's sometimes a mistake in apprehension around business that you know, you open the doors and you trade, and there's an opportunity there, um, you know, to make profit. You know, the, the harsh reality is that that many businesses, um, in their pure existence, are tenuous, and they operate on very, very slim margins. So the, the the challenge that I put out to not only local government but all levels of government is to is to work to support business on lowering costs. Um, you know, the, the costs of opening the doors and running a business are absolutely going through the roof. Whether it's utilities or energy, um, whether it's uh, supplies or transport, um, there's a lot that government can do to be working on driving those costs down, um, just simply to make sure that business can continue to open its doors. Phil, do you think voters have had enough to make an informed decision? Well, I think they've got a, they've got a strong awareness of, of who their candidates are. I mean, once once you get through the challenge of understanding exactly which division you might reside in. Um, I, I know that there was a lot of concern around that with the change to divisional boundaries, um, which is not to suggest that that change that change can't be a good one, Alan. Um, I, I think um, I think voters have a have good information about uh, who their candidates are. What they I think lack clarity on is exactly how. Uh, Candidates and, in particular, incumbents can translate uh, whatever electoral spin they might have provided to um, affirmative action to support business. So, um, it is true that there is going to be a challenge among uh, our new council um, 
for not only them to understand, but for voters and the electorate and constituents to understand um, how we can get things done, how we can um, undertake change and how we can undertake improvement for our business community. Um, but, you know, I think like many voters, there are concerns about exactly um, how limited the authority of councillors might be in the new world. Um, it is, I think, the nature of any work that's undertaken in terms of review and compliance and audit um, that levels of government often um, go into a form of paralysis post, you know, those significant that significant scrutiny that comes uh, following an intense review. So, so I think um, one of the concerns and one of the challenges for the business community is to understand how quickly and dynamically uh, work can be done to support business. If I give you a, give you an example, Alan, we as a chamber of commerce find ourselves in the first uh, the first year in our 115 year history where we don't enjoy um, the the partnership support with our local council, and um, that is extremely disappointing. In fact, the only um, the only support that we're able to um, to achieve in working with council now requires, as I understand it, a 60-day approval and turnaround process. Now, the, the, the important thing to understand about that is that business moves faster than that. So whatever the emerging issues are for business, we as a Chamber of Commerce need to be dynamic, we need to move quickly, and we need to move in to provide support to business where and when it's required. So that kind of um, that bureaucracy that might result in delay in terms of affirmative action to support business is certainly concerning. Well, I think a priority for the new councillors, Phil, is to have more than one council meeting a month because individual councillors can't enact change, but a full meeting of council can make sweeping changes and if they set their minds to it, they can do it very quickly. And I don't think any of the fresh-faced candidates probably grasp that concept. Former councillors will... Uh, if they yep. get re-elected, but the newbies won't realise how much power they actually do have at a full meeting of council. Uh, it doesn't have to go through the committee process. Items can be raised on the council floor. A vigorous debate can take place and a, and a vote can take place. So if there are pressing issues, they can move quickly if they want to. I really, I really hope you're correct. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear. I agree with you. I think... Um, I think frequent meetings, business communities looking for council to be quick and agile and 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 react um, rapidly where supports required. So um, I, I'm very pleased to hear your your, uh, your optimism in that space, and I hope you're correct. It will take a little time, but I think that yep. is what will ultimately happen uh, as uh, mm. new councillors uh, find their feet in the chamber and how the organisation functions. Phil, just coming back to the role of the Chamber, here's, here's an opportunity to put in a bit of a plug. What's coming up in 2020 of interest to members and potential members? A lot. I mean, there's, there's, we have a full program of events, as, as usual. One of our key strengths, I think, as a Chamber of Commerce is, is our ability to bring business together. Um, networking comprises about uh, 30% of our Chamber of Commerce activity and a large number of our members. And we have now over 360 members, Alan, throughout our region. Uh, really take advantage of those networking opportunities. But beyond that, um, we have in the last couple of years rolled out really successful programs of support around our master classes to support business in some very um, key and specific areas. It might be things like stock management, it might be things like margin uh, or working capital or debt financing. Um, some of those really key issues that can provide, um, you know, short 
punchy uh, bites of information from from key industry experts and partners of the chamber to help us um, improve their business. So that program will continue, as well as that, of course, Alan, we um, we're well renowned for our um, our annual business awards um, and. Award nominations are currently open. They have been open for some time, uh, leading to a fantastic program, annual event program, uh, culminating in our Gala um, Business Awards event at the end of the year. So um, beyond that as well, there's a, there's fantastic service offerings for Chamber members, um, from 24-hour hotlines to support uh, Chamber members through HR and IR decisions and practices, uh, right through to wellness um, support facilities, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline for business owners and managers um, who might be, you know, suffering or experiencing some stress, stress or hardship as a consequence of, um, you know, some of their circumstances in business. So, the chamber is really proud of the fact that we've got a broad offering for members. Um, we, we try very hard to keep our costs low through a fantastic board of volunteers and um, local business people who support the chamber, and we also have some key partners, um, large corporates who understand that, that their very existence relies upon the existence of strong local business um, and small business within the region. So it's going to be a busy 2020, Alan. Um, we're excited about it. We're really looking forward to um, continuing to roll out these fantastic events. And the next one um, you might be aware of is our International Women's Day um, presentation next Friday, the 13th, um, a morning tea. So uh, those networking and, and presentation opportunities will continue right throughout the year. Victor Atwood was Deputy Mayor of Ipswich City Council from 2004 to 2016, after first being elected as a councillor in 2000. He joins me now with a unique insider's perspective on campaigning and the inner workings of being a councillor. Thanks for taking time to talk with Ipswich Election Watch. Victor? No worries, Alan. Always glad to um, catch up with friends. As a keen observer of local politics, how engaged do you think the voters are in this election? I think that um, overall, not very engaged. And with the proliferation of election signs now going up around the city, I think people will become more engaged. But at this particular point in time, I don't think they're very engaged at all. And what are you hearing from residents, particularly in the eastern suburbs, about mayoral candidates and council candidates more generally? And... I think people are a bit bemused by the um, by some of the mayoral candidates, the previous mayoral candidates who now dropped out of the race. They don't um, understand some of what they were um, promoting. I think there's a great field of candidates out there this time for people to make a choice about who they want to form the next council, where in the past the competition for councillor positions has been quite limited with a lot of councillors, particularly between 2008 and 2016, being elected unopposed. And um, I think that caused uh, a detriment to the city in that people didn't have to fight for their jobs. Are there any specific issues you're hearing people talk about? People are talking about, overall, they want a council back. They're sick to death of the administration and how the city has been let, in some ways, um, go backwards in regards to dealing with community issues and with festivals, with stuff like that. They want someone they can ring up to and complain about their footpath or about potholes 
where before with the councillors people could ring up the elected officer for each individual councillor and of course have that service request put in and dealt with in a convenient and quick manner where now a lot of people don't bother because they don't think anything happens. So they're keen to get a council back, they're keen to get control back of their own destiny. I think there's a lot of um, people who are very concerned about the fact that some of the previous councillors are running for elected positions, particularly the more long-term ones, rather than um, David Martin, who was only in there for a few months before for, before he gets got sacked. I've had quite a few people talk to me about the previous council for Division 2 and how um, long he was there and whether um, he was involved in any of the shenanigans that went on before. They seem to be a bit low to um, just to automatically vote for him like they would have in the past. There's not been a lot of education on the different voting methods for mayor and councillors. It has changed from the last election. How do you see the level of informal vote panning out? I think it's going to be quite high. And I think particularly in the eastern suburbs, it's going to be horrendous because we've also got the Gondamba by-election on the same day. I think the differences between um, the mayoral candidate where it'll be option preferential voting and the divisional candidates where we first passed the post, there's a lot of um, confusion out there about whether how many squares people have to tick. In the ballot for um, a councillor, people are saying to me they only want to tick one box because they only want to vote for one person. They don't want to vote for two people. Other people are telling me they want to vote for more than two people and is their, is their vote formal? Well, I can't answer that because personally I don't know whether um, if you vote for more than two people it's informal. I know if you only vote for one person though, it's informal. Well, this is where the and ECQ has to get on top of the game and uh, launch launch a massive education campaign and quickly. Definitely. And a lot of people don't even know what the divisions are in. They haven't been told. They know there's been huge changes. There's only four divisions and they're multi-member ones, but they don't know which one they're in. Well, under administration, there's been a wholesale revamp of many council policies and procedures. Are there any that you see as becoming unworkable? And in particular, I'm referring to the interaction between councillors and staff and the new media policy. In the previous council, councillors had a, there was a council policy about what level of um, interaction there was between councillors and, and staff. The Local Government Act had some specific um, legislation that said a councillor could talk to staff at a certain level but they couldn't go below that level. That was the policy of the previous council. And um, I know that um, some people abided by that and some people did. When a new council is elected, of course, they set the policies and procedures. So they will, again, go back, look at the Local Government Act and see what level of interaction they want with the staff, particularly staff below the um, departmental head level because, of course, they're always interacting with councillors anyway. Just looking closer at the new media policy, uh, there's going to be some restrictions placed on councillors on what they can say, what they can't say, on behalf of council as opposed to an individual. Initially, the mayor is going to be the spokesperson and would delegate that to another councillor if he or she wasn't available. Do you see that working in practice? No. That was a policy we had before. And councils just go off and do what they want.
They announced council policies and council procedures. They announced measures in the budget and all sorts of stuff before the mayor had a chance to ever um, put out official press releases. If some of those previous councils get re-elected, that will just go straight out the door. They will say they're a representative of the people or whatever the reason they're in and they've got a right to tell those people what they want and no one is going to um, limit their freedom of speech their freedom of political association and their ability to communicate with their residents and their division. No doubt we're in for, for some interesting times should that eventuate. Looking at the bigger picture, if you happen to be heading back to the council chambers, what would be the priorities for a new council? I think the first priority would have to be to um, for the council to regain the trust of this community. I think it's been destroyed over what happened with um councillors Pasali and Antonelli in particular, with them both being charged with um, criminal charges and with all of the uh, with the um, two previous CEOs and other members of the council being charged with misconduct and, and corruption and in some cases being jailed. There's a real lack of, of trust in the community where all levels of politics, but usually local government has the highest trust rating. I, I think in this it's been absolutely bulldozed by, by what's happened, but also by the actions of the administrators, particularly um, Mr. Chinello when he was there and his group of um, advisors in cancelling so many community events and downsizing them and making everything a bureaucratic process for community groups to access council community funds and stuff like that. I think that they've gone too far and uh, and they've destroyed a lot of trust in the community that people will have a long, hard road rebuilding that trust for, um, for, the, for the community to believe again in the council and what the council was, was trying to do. So what you're saying, it's prob- probably going to take more than one term for that trust All to right. be rebuilt? I think it will take at least two. And whatever happens in the first 12 months of the new term, of this new council will set the foundation for what will happen in the future. And if it gets mucked up, it'll be held to pay for um, residents in the accessing council services. It's really become quite fraught at the moment. And I think that if um, the elected councils don't get a firm grip on this, we build a trust in the services that the community had before. And one it will be a nightmare to be a councillor, and it'll be a nightmare to be a resident or a ratepayer trying to get assistance from the council. After all, you have to remember that a council is an elected representative of the, of the people. They're not people elected to be a board of directors. They're representative bodies. They make decisions not like a board of directors. They make decisions as politicians and as councillors and elected representatives of their community. They're there to do what their community wants, not to run a business, but to be a community representative. Victor, I touched on this a little earlier in, the, in our conversation. Do you think voters have had enough information to make informed decisions, let alone the ones that uh, are brand new to the game? No, 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 not at all. I've had an MI and Facebook. I've had one flyer from one person. And I think there's nine people running in my division. I've had nothing from anyone else. I wouldn't know some of them from a bar or so if I, if I ran into them. Um, 
I don't know what they stand for. I don't know what their policies are. I don't know what their um, political ethos and philosophy is, whether they're a person who believes in community, whether they're a person who believes in outsourcing council and services, or whether they're a person who believes that the council should have a balanced workforce that can deliver all the services that it needs. Until you know those things, how can you make a decision who you're going to vote for? As a former councillor and deputy mayor, what do you think the biggest shock will be for first-timers in the chamber? The um, amount of work that's required and the amount of new information that's all of a sudden um, put in front of them that they have to learn and they are expected to know that and putting together their first budget. Particularly if it's a brand new council with no previous councillors, they'll have no experience in putting together a budget and how to get funding for particular projects that they may have promised people in order to ensure that they got elected. And also the the plethora of policies and procedures that are expected to know and expected to follow right from the very beginning. I do hope that they have a proper induction process for everybody who who is going who wins at the end of the month because when I got elected in two thousand there was no induction process for councillors. You just got elected and then you learned on the, you learned as you go as you went. I do believe there is a program set aside for new councillors. So hopefully that will be thorough and then councillors can get on the job uh, can get onto the job of being councillors. For the first three to six months, you had sitting when you first elected, trying to figure out what's going on and what isn't, what you need to know and what you don't need to know, what what policies and procedures need changing because they're detrimental to the well-being of the city or to the well-being of the residents in regards to interactions with councillors and stuff like that. I just think that um, there's a hell of a lot to learn and I wish them all the best of luck. Well, Victor, thank you very much for your insights as a, as a former Deputy Mayor. We won't have long to wait. March 28 is, is looming large, and then we'll know the full makeup of the new Ipswich City Council. Thanks for your time again. No worries, Alan. Ipswich Election Watch. In the next episode, guests will include the President of the Greater Springfield Chamber of Commerce. Music on this podcast is courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app, and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.